there is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead to heal the sensing soul. Sometimes I feel discouraged and think my work's in majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 8 the ESV. Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another beautiful episode of The Balm in Gilead. How are you doing today, Brian? I'm doing good. Can you hear the all of the sound coming from the mouth of my babies and infants from the next room? I, I can hear that there is out of the mouth of babies and infants, uh, you have established strength because of your foes. I, I, I do hear that. You do? Do you hear any noise coming from my direction? Not quite, but I'm sure it'll be there. Okay. So it I is It is Sunday afternoon. We normally record on Saturday nights. Uh, but this is two weeks in a row that that's not been an option. So we, Sorry about that, everyone. Sorry, sorry. I, last week we, we couldn't get our act together. This week we're trying. Hey, I was here by one. This is a, yes. a impressive feat. I will yes. say. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Episode so yeah, eight. we do we we do have a little bit of follow up for you all. Uh, Brad Bayenhoff on the uh, uh, on our Slack channel, which is techreformation.slack.com, uh, and you can sign up there and also give us follow up. But Brad Bayenhoff came into, uh, we had made a quote about evangelism and worship uh, last week, or on the last show anyway, and that quote is actually from John Piper, not Charles Spurgeon or John Calvin, as it turns out. Um, and I, I believe it was uh, something along the lines of the reason for evangelism is to um, bring worship no, it, or because the world does not worship, oh boy. No, no, you're, you're, you're getting it. You're getting it pretty pretty bad. Hey, follow up. It's uh, 
I believe what I said was that missions exists because worship does not, yes. but the actual quote was evangelism exists because, or yeah, yeah, it was one of those words. I said one, it was the other. I said, right. I think I said, I don't remember what I said, but anyway. But John Piper wrote a book and did. this is in that book. It, I think it may even be the title of that book available for free on designinggod.org. So uh, go there. I think we handled we that follow-up very well. Free book. Yeah, we have covered that. Okay, all right. Move we, on, Grant. We, 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 at least, we at least covered it as well as the lightest form of flogging in the Kevin DeYoung saga. This is the lightest form of follow-up. Yeah, this is the other form of flogging. <laughs> so, man, I don't know. Speaking of the lightest form of flogging, I don't know if you've checked out their Instagram account lately. But Bill has taken it over, and by taking it over, I mean he thought that a Instagram takeover was where he actually takes and steals away the credentials of uh, David and 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 um, Jim there at Lightest Form of Flogging, and he has actually hijacked their account. So uh, this is really exciting. I we got to talk to Bill about. You know, the pallet depots and, and, and his essential oils. Maybe he ought to just get his own channel for all that rather than trying to steal life form of flogging. But I don't know how that's going to work out. But, man, I, I wish Jim and David, if you're listening to this, I wish you all the best. And hopefully we can talk Bill off this ledge here a little bit. You know what we could do? We could start our own Instagram and have Bill take that over from the get-go. And maybe then he'll give the lightest form of flogging theirs oh back. Oh boy. Okay. Um, can we can we maybe think about this offline, Brian? Yeah, I think we could probably think about that offline. Oh. Okay. All right. Um, well, uh, uh, icebreaker time, right? Icebreaker. I mean, yeah. Have, yeah. Have a couple of songs, right? A couple um, of songs. There's this "Nobody" by Casting Crowns featuring Matthew West. Now, these are two songs that um, there was a band that we kind of like. And it features somebody that um, we, we may appreciate in some respects, but maybe not as much as other respects. Sure. But um, in any case, what we mean by that is uh, we have two songs here, Nobody by Casting Crowns featuring Matthew West and Echo by Elevation Worship featuring Torin Wells. And we just wanted to kind of poke and prod at these a little bit and discern a little bit, like, what, what are these songs sort of teaching us um, especially as we see kind of these two different worldviews almost coming at a, a collaborative project such as one of these particular worship songs. So what do you got for us there, Brian? Yeah, so um, it, you, you introduced that pretty well. Uh, I'd say Nobody by Casting Crowns features Matthew West. Casting Crowns is a band that uh, I tend to enjoy um, – more often than not, there's only maybe one song of theirs I don't care for, and it was a song that was commissioned by uh, of them to write. So I, I don't necessarily think it was their best work. That was um, it was courageous. It was for that movie that came out. Ah, uh, yes. Name. And mm. uh, yeah, it, so that that was an interesting song. It wasn't bad. It's just not my favorite. But then Matthew West, and I talked about this last time. I, I tend to not like his stuff very much at all. And I feel like he is so far on the Arminian wing that it, it starts to his, his theology in the song start to kind of 
kind of veer into heterodoxy. I'm not saying that he that his music is heterodoxical, but I think it's like right on the edge. Um, and so I, I worry. Like Matthew West causes me to to worry a little bit. And, and I talked about that last time. But um, so Casting Crowns being a band that I, I tend to like more often than not, and Matthew West being an artist that I tend to it tends to bring me pause. Uh, the other song is Echo by Elevation Worship featuring Torn Wells. Torn Wells is an artist that I love every one of his songs that I've heard. Uh, nice. I think his stuff is really solid. He usually really grounds his stuff in theology and he chooses his words very carefully. Um, whereas Elevation Worship is actually really similar to Matthew West in theology. Um, it would almost make more sense to have seen this as an Elevation Worship featuring Matthew West and a Casting Crowns featuring Torrin Wells. Like those theologies, I think, would, would seem to line up a little bit better than the way that they have them. Um, so we're going to just look at these songs. We're going to go through the whole song. We're not just going to pick out little bits and pieces, but we're not going to focus the entire episode on it. This is, this is just the icebreaker after all. Uh, so I'm going to read through uh, a big chunk of the song, and then we can pause and talk about it and then move on to the next section. And uh, we'll just kind of – we haven't prepared this ahead of time, really. Uh, I, I've got some stuff to say. I'm sure that Grant probably has something here or there. And we're just when gonna, Well, I have questions anyway. Yeah, so we got some questions. <laughs> so we'll just, we'll, just, uh, we'll just ride this pony and see where it goes. All right. Let's All do right. it. So we're going to start with Nobody. Um, and this is uh, – in both verses, the featured artist – sings the second verse. So that's going to be helpful. So okay. verse, verse one, casting crowns. Uh, why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of a line with all the other not quites, with all the never get it rights. But it turns out they are the ones you are looking for all this time. Um, and that goes into the chorus. And I'll just read through the chorus and we can talk about that whole section. But because I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. And I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. Uh, nice. Yeah, so the whole idea is kind of the verse kind of gets into the into the chorus. The chorus kind of answers some of the questions in the verse. I'm just going to say, first line, why you ever chose me has always been a mystery is a fantastic opening line. Um, I don't believe that Casting Crowns follows Reformed theology, but that line definitely fits within a proper understanding of Ephesians 1 and Romans 9, which are the kind of big Reformed theology passages. Uh, why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. I, I think that's kind of, it's all over. That, that we can all relate to that. Yeah, places the burden, uh, if you will, for our salvation squarely on God's shoulders, not ours, because we could never in our sinful nature choose God. Right. And um, Ephesians makes that pretty clear, I think, um, in that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us faith in order to even respond to God's call. Right. Um, and then the the rest of verse 1 you kind of it's kind of all over it at once. You know, all my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line with all the other not quites, with all the never get it rights. Um, so you know he, he basically saying that the world and people in in his life have, have told him in general that he belongs at the end that he's not good enough that he can't get into heaven on his own that he can't do anything good on his own which it which are actual gospel truths. Um, 
And then it again turns the burden back on God, but it turns out that they are the ones you were looking for all this time. So that God was looking for the not quites. He was looking for all the never get it rights. And so because that's where I was, I was with them. That's where God was looking. Um, and then the, the chorus, cause I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul again, puts that burden on God. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to see. Now I'm living for the world to see nobody, but Jesus, uh, I also like how it's, it fights that antinomian view. Um, it's not just, you know, God saved me. So whatever it's God saved me so that I can now live for him. Um, that's a really clear picture of how the gospel works. And, and I, I like that about this particular song. Um, For sure. The only quibble I might have is just, um, but turns out you were the ones you were looking for as if maybe he didn't know beforehand, but we know that's true. But, um, uh, we, we know that God did choose us before, you know, that he didn't need to look for us necessarily. But I think what the, uh, Custom Crowns is doing with that language is the uh, parable of the lost sheep. Yeah, the shepherd goes looking for the sheep. Absolutely. And so I think that's kind of the the what he, they're trying to bring in there. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. The I'd say that my my big um, issue with that with the first verse is um, it feels like there are two groups of people. There are, mm-hmm. there are mm-hmm. the not quites and the never get it rights, but then there's that implies that there are the quites and the get it rights. <laughs> um, uh-huh. where, you know, if you look at, you know, the, the story where Jesus got his feet, um, anointed, you know, he talked about how those who have been forgiven much, uh, love much, but those who have been forgiven little love little. Yes. And, yes. and so, you know, Simon, the Pharisee would have been considered by society to be one of the get it rights. And, um, and so I, you know, I, I can see this, but it's, uh, just, you know, my, my impression of it, and it's going to, you're going to find out more about it in the second verse. And so this just kind of leads into the second verse kind of makes it sound like, um, like we have to be a not right in order to be accepted. But the truth is Mm -hmm. all of us, everyone is a never get it right. And, Mm -hmm. and so it's not like I'm, I'm in the group with the never get it rights and that God will then choose me because I'm a never get it right. God chooses me despite the fact that I'm a never get it right because everybody is a never get it right. And everyone that God chooses therefore will be a never get it right. Um, so that's, uh, that, that's kind of my, my one kind of, yeah, I mean, it it kind of mixes it mixes perspectives, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. it, it it kind of looks at it from uh, God's view, and it kind of looks at it from human view. You yeah. know, maybe it's trying to say, oh, you know, you're in middle school or high school now, and you feel like a reject, just but yeah, uh, not like one of the all stars uh, football players or whatever. Right. And maybe that's what they're trying to like relate it, be relatable and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but you're absolutely right the truth of the matter is that we're all the not quites. We're all the never get it right. Yeah. The, the reject, uh, we've all sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. Right. And so now going into verse two, I think, I'll, I think this is going to make a little bit more sense. Um, it says Moses had stage fright and David brought a rock to a sword fight. You picked 12 outsiders. Nobody would have chosen and you changed the world. 
Well, the moral of the story is everybody's got a purpose. So when I hear that devil start talking to me saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm just a nobody goes on into the chorus. That was the Matthew West portion of the song. And where the verse one started off incredibly strong verse two, it just kind of drops it. I mean, it's in my perspective, I, I think verse two is not a very good song. Um, most of stage right. That's true. Uh, he, he didn't want to go. He, he, he told God, no, I'm not going to go. And God said, no, you are going to go. Moses is like, I can't talk very good. It's like, well, then I'll get Aaron to talk for you. You know, so God didn't let Moses have an excuse. And um, a lot of times when talking about like Romans nine, we've already kind of mentioned that uh, when we talk about the, the passage about Moses and Pharaoh, I like to say that, um, that Pharaoh rejected God the same way that Moses rejected God. God just didn't take no for an answer. From mm. Moses, mm-hmm. and so you know, there's nothing wrong with this saying Moses had stage fright. I, I think that the uh, that the next line that that uh, David brought a rock to a sword fight is one that is I'm just gonna say it's it's ignorant um, <laughs> because David wasn't like it implies that David was this little boy who all he could do is throw a rock at Goliath. David slung that that stone so fast that it killed a man. I mean, this is this is not that wasn't like a little party trick. Um, <laughs> it was. Are you saying that uh, David brought a gun to a knife fight? David brought a gun to a knife fight is what happened. There's actually a branch mm. in the Israelite uh, military of stone slingers. Like this was this was an actual combat weapon. So to say that David brought a rock to a sword fight is a really bad example of what he's trying to do because it would be like saying, right. be like saying, oh look, look at David, that not quite. He brought a gun to a knife fight, you know. So anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. So what they're saying by saying David brought a rock to a sword fight, surely there were better examples maybe to pull from David's life, or perhaps the idea that he rested in God. Rather right. than his own strength, it might be something good to bring out of that particular yeah, absolutely uh, story there. And yeah. also, you're not David, right? You're not you're not David. Uh, anyway, I don't have as good of an impression. Um, yeah, it's a like you're saying. You know, he's if if you're if it was a dumb thing to bring a, a slingshot to a night to a sword one-on-one battle then yeah that would that'd be dumb but i mean david killed goliath i mean expertly i mean it was it was a it wasn't like a fluke that he killed goliath he was he had killed a bear he had killed a lion you know he knew how to use this he wasn't just some punk kid that was like tripped while he was you know trying to throw a rock and just happened to hit it at the right spot Mm-hmm. He'll never get it right. He's not the all-star of his football team. Right. So it's just a bad example. Gotcha. Um, and then the next line says, you pick 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen and you changed the world. Uh, that's one of these, like I was talking about with my my, my quabble with verse one, is mm-hmm. everyone is a nobody. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone mm-hmm. is not good enough. And so when it says you pick 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen – by that standard, nobody would have chosen anybody. And so he picked 12 people. Um, And some of them, 
you know, some of them were fishermen. Someone's a, one was a tax collector. You know, there, there were people, but then we don't get like an intense background in all of them. And it's not like they were really like the scum of the earth. They were just normal. Like people were fishermen. You know, there were people that were tax collectors. There were people who did different things. There were zealots. There were other people. These are just 12 average people. But from a lot of different backgrounds, from a too. lot of different I mean, that's backgrounds, pretty amazing. Um, but I would say that it's the next line that really kind of tells where Matthew West is coming from. He says, "Well, the moral of the story is everybody has got a purpose. If the Bible is not a book full of fables that we can learn morals from, the right. Bible is a history book full of broken individuals." whom God redeems and God is the hero of the story and God is the only one that gives anyone a purpose and not everybody like those who are lost their purpose their purpose is uh, is not as good as someone who is elect um, kind of like that uh you know the what was it the purpose driven life how Rick Warren Rick Warren you know if there are people in the church that aren't elect what is their purpose you know, their 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 purpose. Then they're not in the church. Well, I mean, they're, if there's someone who is, is that what you mean? Well, it's not that they're not in the church. The nah, it's fine. But you know, like to say that everybody's got a purpose. Every one of the elect has a purpose. I gotcha. Like has has a future and a hope. You know, but those who are not elect, they don't have that same purpose. And so to say everybody's got a purpose, and also you know, just this moralistic element of. David and Goliath and Moses and the disciples. Um, it's, it, yeah, it tends towards moralistic therapeutic de- uh, deism, right? I mean, yeah, it, it it misses it misses the purpose. So the the moral of the story is that that's not the purpose <laughs> of the story. Um, so it's it's saying then that the moral of the Bible, because the story that they're talking about is the Bible is that everybody's got a purpose, but that's not the point of the Bible. So mm-hmm. it's just, that's just a very misleading. It's very moralistic deism. It's not the same. Um, and then, so when I hear that devil start talking to me saying, who do you think you are? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's how the devil works. Doesn't he just say things that are true about ourselves? Um, He's the accuser, right? right? I mean, that's his role in the Bible is the accuser. That's what the Satan means, uh, yeah. Satan. Um, uh, Lucifer is the accuser. So his job is, if you take the uh, terms of like a courtroom, which yeah. is very familiar to the biblical story from my understanding. Look at it's Job. The devil. Yeah, look at Job. He's there to tell true things about you that are plenty to convict you. Yeah. So he doesn't need to say things like, "Who do you think you are?" Um, yeah, he's, he's got enough. He's got enough ammunition on me. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, he's got plenty on me to convict me to hell for all eternity. Yeah. However, uh, thanks be to God, Jesus paid for that price. He drank the right. cup to the last drop of condemnation so that when that cup is poured out on me, there's nothing left. Right. So I've been taken. He took, he took my nasty stinky robe of sin and wore it 
and he gave me right. his spotless robe of righteousness. Yeah. So when God Zechariah. sees yeah, when mm-hmm. God sees me, he sees Christ's righteousness. When God sees Christ, or when God saw Christ, he saw my sin. And then, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's that's the purpose of the story. And uh, so I, that that verse, I don't know, it just really, really, really irks me. And then they followed mm-hmm. up with a bridge, and the, yeah. bridge, the bridge is really good. So let me go down, down, down in history as another blood-bought faithful member of the family. And if they all forget mm-hmm. my name, well, that's fine with me. I'm living mm-hmm. for the world to see nobody but Jesus. That's that's a good way to put it. I mean, it's the song, uh, like, as I said, the, the Casting Crowns portion of the song I think is really solid. The Matthew West portion of the song is typical Matthew West and not as solid. So that's that's my take on Nobody. All right. Do you have any, well, that's, do you have any more uh, further thoughts? Well, not more than you said. I, I, I don't know if it would be helpful to maybe state positively uh, the mm-hmm. Moses had stage fright verse. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody's got a purpose. God does have a purpose for everyone. Uh, and uh, whether <laughs> whether and it's all for his glory, right? Right. Uh, what yeah. is the chief end of man? Uh, the man, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Yeah. Um, God, so that's your purpose. Yeah. God, God saves the elect yeah. for the purpose of his glory. God punishes the sinner for the purpose of his glory. So exactly. So whether we are saved or we are damned, it is all for his glory. And so that, is, right. Our, that is our purpose. You're right. So but I, I, just but I don't think that's what Matthew was. I don't think that's what Matthew was had in mind. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. I just wanted to point out that. Yeah. Um, there is a way to positively yeah. state that. So if we were rewriting the song, uh, when, when Matthew West comes to us and, and asks, you know, Brian, do you think you could help me improve this a little bit? We'll, we'll be ready. Yeah, that's true. I'll think about it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, and, and this isn't, this isn't one of those songs that I'm going to turn off when it comes on the radio. I mean, this is a fine song. The, the, the music is fun. It is absolutely not a type one song. This is a type two song. And right. And even if the song was solid, the fact that they chose the words with all the other not quites, with all the never get it right, that alone, which I think is fine. Like I, for this song, for the purpose of this song, I, I like, oh, yeah. I liked those, those words, but that would, that would make it, um, that would take it away from, it, 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 we enter into that like colloquial language, to where it wouldn't be suitable for church. But um, there's probably people who sing this song in church. I don't know. There are definitely people who sing this next song in church. Probably Stephen Furtick as one of them. Um, so well, when it's written by Elevation Worship, yeah, probably. It. Uh, and just going to preface this as well, one of the DJs at our local station, uh, there's one time that they, after they played the song, he's like, yeah, we did the song last week in church and it was great. This song should not be sung in church. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. And it, and it has absolutely everything to do with the style of the music. This is a, uh, I'd say a Justin Timberlake wannabe song. Um, have you, have you've listened through the song? Haven't you? I'm, I'm, I'm almost sure I did. Like when we yeah. talked about doing, I'm pretty sure I pulled it up. Yeah, so we'll 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 link it to the show notes. Uh, we'll we'll have a, a playlist with these two songs in it, so you can listen and, and judge for yourself. 
But yeah, it, it's like a it's like a party song. Like there's like a lot of whoops and hollas going on in the background, and it's just woo, yeah, yeah. It's they have a music video. Yeah, it's, there's just a lot going on in this song, and uh, it, it's just this song shouldn't be done in church. I'm not saying it's a bad song. I'm just saying it shouldn't be done in church. But it was written by a church to be sung in church, so it, it was intentionally written for church. Um, do you think on the slides they print out so the o dash o dash o dash o dash yes yes probably so I would think so this is how they this is verbatim how the song came up on a Google search for the lyrics so, fair enough echo in my so oh 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 um all right so let's just go into it so go this for is, it. this uh again Torn Wells sings verse two uh, Elevation sings verse one. And the chorus, and there's no bridge, actually. They just repeat the chorus a whole lot at the end. Um, it says, when night has fallen, when fear is common, mm. still fear, still you're calling me. Uh, when faith is lost and my hope exhausted, you will be my strength. I want to say here, the rhymes mm-hmm. in this verse are very good. So the the word awesome. choice and the rhyming in this particular verse are very good. When faith is lost and my hope exhausted, that is a very good rhyme. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, I, I get onto elevation more often than not for just bad songwriting, but that that was a really good verse uh, for from a songwriting word choice standpoint. So that 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 passes the excellence test. That passes the excellence test. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Um, excellent. Uh, when my mind says I'm not good enough, God, you're enough for me. Yeah, I've decided I'm not giving up because you won't give up on me. You won't give up on me. Uh, that was the pre-chorus. So mm. Verse one pre-chorus. Okay. Uh, so we'll talk about we'll talk about that section. So uh, obviously, as I read it, I I threw in my my own commentary just in how I read it. Line two has the word fear. Um, I, that's that's always like this red flag for me mm. when night has mm-hmm. fallen, when fear is common. Uh, still, Fear. you're still you're calling me. Um, shame, shame. When faith is lost and my hope exhausted, you will be my strength. There's, a, I mean, there's a lot of gospel truth in this. I, I, I don't like the word fear um, for many reasons, but so because of the word fear over sin, uh, this mm-hmm. the song is weaker than than it than it could be. Um, but the, I mean, these what they're saying is is pretty decent. Um, when night has fallen, you know, the, when I think of night, it's not necessarily just when the sun goes down. It's, you know, when, when darkness is creeping in, when, um, if you think of it from the sin perspective, when, uh, if, if you think of, uh, Ephesians five, when it's talking about how the shameful things are done in the night or shameful things mm-hmm. are done in the dark. So cast your light on them. That is an interpretation. I don't remember the exact wording, but it's that it's Ephesians five. You said, I believe so. Um, I, I wasn't we'll planning on talking on about Yeah. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they, that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Yes. And we've talked about you know, like using the word darkness in, in the past about different things. And, uh, and I, I don't love it. 
Um, but I did want to point that particular passage out, uh, that when it says something like when night has fallen, if you read it through that particular lens, you know, it's saying, you know, the night is representative of a time where people can do all sorts of shameful things in secret and Mm -hmm. that we as Christians should cast our light on them um, and expose them for what they are so that they can either, so that they can either repent and then shine back or they can just be exposed and done away with. But, um, so I'm, I'm in a gracious mood, I guess, in, in the song. Uh, so when night has fallen, when fear is common, still you're calling me. Uh, when faith is lost and my hope exhausted, you will be my strength. The, the, especially that last, the, the last three lines, when faith is lost and my hope exhausted, you will be my strength. I, I like that one. It's, it's not very deep, um, but it is, it is a gospel truth. It's the pre-chorus that kind of gives me some, uh, some pause. When my mind says I'm not good enough, God, you're enough for me. I've decided I'm not giving up because you won't give up on me. You won't give up on me. Um, it puts a lot of power in my hands. You know, I've decided mm-hmm. I'm not giving up. That line yep. puts a lot of power in my own hands. Now, to, on the flip side, we want to battle antinomianism. We want to say, you know, I do. I am responsible for my own actions, and I am responsible to obey God. Uh, but God gives me the strength to obey him. And so ultimately God is sovereign over all. And I do have the responsibility to follow his commands. Um, but just the way that that's worded, you know, I've decided I'm not giving up cause you won't give up on me. Um, it, it puts a little bit more power in my own hands that I'm, that I'm really comfortable with. And then, yeah. and then when we get on to the chorus, the chorus is where things kind of get, really like poetic i guess for a okay. lack of a better word by poetic i don't mean good poetic i just mean oh. like they they get more metaphysical oh okay um your love a is hold- more transcendental yeah like your love is holding on and it won't let go i feel it breaking out like an echo your love mm. is holding on and it won't let go i feel it breaking out like an echo an echo in my soul with four five o's so that's a lot oh, of O's oh, for soul. Oh, oh. Yes. Um, Real time follow up. Uh, in the YouTube video, they do print all the O's. Okay. So, um, <laughs> and it's it's definitely meant to be like a lyric sing along yes. type video on there. And uh, anyway. in in the pronunciation of the song in in the song, it it mm. says the O five times. It's an echo in my soul. Oh 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 oh. oh, oh. So it is. It does have five. They they make soul into a five syllable word in the song. Um, yeah. Oh, would those be the five soul us? Yes. I'm I'm giving you a high five in my, in my mind for that one. Um, so <laughs> so this this chorus it, it it breaks away from like this concrete imagery and it goes into just some. It's really really weird. Your love is holding on. Okay, and it won't let go. You know, there's a mm. biblical root in you know if if we're in the Father's hand and in Christ's hand, and how can we uh, ever escape the, the the grasp of both? Um, you know that I can see, but just I don't know. Saying the word love uh, as mm-hmm. a manifestation of God, God is love, and so that's that's fine. Mm-hmm. It's just it's weird. The thing I don't really fully understand is I feel it breaking out like an echo. 
Right. What is meant by that? Like, somehow we're just like gonna earthquake shatter my soul, oh, 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 and it bursts all over. I mean, like, what is well, what bre- is really meant there? Breaking out, I would say, is more like like a breakout session or like, okay. um, like I feel it, you know, moving. I feel it progressing. It's breaking out, um, but. Like this idea of love is holding me like an echo. Um, that's, I don't know. There's just, there's When's the like last a, time you were held by an echo. Yeah. There's like this mixed imagery going on that doesn't, okay. that doesn't really fully make sense. Um, and so that, and, and then, and then it makes it even more metaphysical by then saying it's an echo in my soul. Um, gotcha. All and, right. And so that's, that's the, that's the thing that, confuse me more than anything that the verse is actually uh, i'd say that the verse and uh the verse is probably some of the best writing i've seen from elevation even it's only six very short lines and it does use the word mm-hmm. fear instead of sin <laughs> but it has some really good rhymes in it and it doesn't like really veer off into heterodoxy at all it just it gets into like the 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 pre-chorus has more about me than I, I than I care for, and then the chorus is just weird. Doesn't it have kind of a Jesus is my boyfriend kind of vibe, though? Like, I don't know. One of those things like, uh, you know, I'm not giving up on you because you're not giving up on me. Yeah. And your love is holding on to me and stuff like that. It feels like this could be a song that I sing to my girl, you know? Yeah, and you got a good point there. Um. um it just feels like that vibe to me. Yeah, but I can see it's that. It's kind of hard to place my finger on. I think it's just like but, the, the metaphysical aspect of it, and like using the word love, holding me, breaking out like an echo. I mean, the the next verse I think helps to to make the echo more concrete, but because it comes after the word echo, it's right. it almost feels like I said this. I realize that doesn't make a lot of sense, so I'm going to try to explain myself. Um, this next this next verse is the torn wells part, and uh, it says, "In every season, you keep repeating promises to me. Now there's mm-hmm. no stopping what you have started until it is complete. This is it is definitely a lot more recognizable as biblical imagery uh, than, than the mm. first than the first verse. The first verse is a lot of metaphysical. You can there's some stretches you can make to to." To like look through some very specific script, scriptural lenses to make it make more mm-hmm. sense, but this one is very obvious. Uh, and every season, you keep repeating promises to me. That is, uh, I mean, that's like the whole idea of covenant theology and the history of the covenant. God keeps repeating the same promises. God goes out of His way to repeat the promises and to let us know that He will never leave us nor forsake us. So that is a very biblical, biblically accurate image. And then the second line as well. Now there's no stopping what you have started until it is complete. That is also a very strong biblical image. And, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And he is, he who has begun a good work and you will be faithful to complete it. You know, those are two different passages where this really, you, you can, you can see both those passages in that statement. And again, that was the Tarn Wells um, addition to it. And that's just, it's a very good, very strong, very solid Bible-based um, line. I mean, it's it's a very short section of the song. It goes back into the 
to the pre-chorus and then it does the chorus like 800 times because that's the elevation way. Um, and then there's a lot of whoops and hollas in the song. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like a dance. It's like a club and dance song. It's, it's, it's really weird. But oh, it, okay. when you think right. of this idea of you keep repeating promises to me and you think about the echo, um, it makes it a little bit more sense. Like this echo is this repetition of God's of God declaring his love to us through the covenants. That is my lens of theology interpretation of it. Uh, you can also, if through the Arminian lens, it'd be the same thing. God repeating how much he loves us over and over again. Um, how, whatever your branch of theology that you listen to, um, that word echo makes more sense through the lens of the second verse, at least in my opinion. Yes. You keep repeating promises to me. There's no stopping what you've started until it's complete. Yeah. And that kind of grounds the reason for this whole, oh, 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 as well. Um, I suppose that's meant to be kind of a, a, a uh, verbal picture of yeah. echoing um, on throughout. Um, uh, I was going to say something about this too, but I don't think it's relevant. So I can go ahead and say it. And we can always cut it. All I was going to say is. Um, we were talking about love in very vague terms, mm-hmm. and we we're talking about, uh, you know, love is holding me. We're looking at love as a reification. So reification meaning uh, the uh, kind of like a wedding ring mm-hmm. is a symbol of marriage, reification. Yeah. Love is actually like meant to be a more concrete term that you're trying to uh, bring all this other meaning into. Sometimes people will say, I love my country, right? Um, the country of the United States, for instance. But what they mean, you know, what what the, what's meant by that? What's really actually encompassed by a country is really the people that make up that country, and so the yeah. country is itself a reification. Sure. And so it feels like that's what they're trying to do here: is um, you understand love, and love is this. You know this reification of, um, you know of God. You know they equates love with God, which, I mean, it says right there in the Bible, God is love. Yeah. Um, but I think maybe what that equivalency does is, I'm not for sure on this, man. Um, you got to check me here, uh, but. It takes away maybe a little bit instead, well, maybe not. Because like, the equivalency, God is love. Uh, there is not a part of God that is love, or God is not in part loving. It's uh, And there's a big theological term for this that I don't really remember um, at the moment. But God is love. Um this whole thing feels like it's going off the rails, man. No, no, no. You're, uh, you're fine. Like, there is this idea that God is love. God, It's not that God is loving. God is loving. But that verse right. is God is love. And so right. uh, all love is really defined by God. And that is, an Correct. that is an important thing. But there's also the importance of 
the the particular passage in First John, um, it it explains more. It's not just three words in a vacuum. It's you know, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But he who loves not doesn't know God, because God is love. That is one of the earliest Bible verses I remember because of a salty song. And by salty, I mean I do mean the P S A L T Y, the singing song oh, book, not not. Like, I knew. Mm-hmm. Yes, not not the blue. Yes, yeah, that, that one. That's the one. Um, yeah, and so it takes. You can't just say. You, you can't just take that word love, and expect everyone to fully understand it because love is so overused and misused, and and it's also I would say. Um, it's misunderstood and it is often lied about like people saying, I will love you forever when they have no intention mm-hmm. of loving you forever. Um, I'm madly in love with you is, was one as well that, uh, to say that I am madly in love with you. Love is so fleeting in a romantic relationship or can be, uh, that to, for how many people in the world have said that, that statement, I'm madly in love with you. And then three years later had nothing to do with that person. Um, and I am referring to a Hillsong song that says, hold on to this one truth. God is madly in love with you and mm. how weak that really is because of the yeah. actual context of, of those exact right. words. It's trying to take God's love and equate it to human love. And right. that is a false. Yeah. You can't you use, know, you can't say that's, it's a no go. You can't define God's love through human terms. You have to define human love through God's terms. And our society in whole has refused to define human love through God's terms. And so it has weakened the word. Um, I think that's, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was kind of the direction you're headed. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's exactly what I'm trying to say. Um, but more elegantly stated. <laughs> All right. So that was, uh, those are those two songs. Um, again, it was Nobody by Casting Crowns featuring Matthew West and then Echo uh, by Elevation Worship featuring Torrin Wells. Uh, please listen to those songs. We have them linked in our show notes. Um, or you can Google the music video if you want to have a good time with Echo and dance along and sing along with it. And with five O's. All right, I'll put that in the show notes. All right. Well, we might just do the, <laughs> we might just do the two music videos and and do it that way. I think that that could be fun. We'll okay. Switch it All up. right. Well, we'll we'll do that. I'm sure that there's a Casting Crowns music video out there. But um, so we are going to go on to our main topic. Well, speaking of dancing in worship, we're going to talk a little bit about that in today's main topic. And that right. segue was not planned, by the way. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. That was not a But you're calling segue. it out, so it makes it better. It makes it better. They're just like the Conan O'Brien way. I'm going to explain all my jokes after I say them until you laugh. Um, we're all laughing on the inside. All on the inside. So this <laughs> is a – we're talking about singing. We're kind of wrapping up our – second cluster of episodes about singing and uh this particular episode we're going to talk um really about the act of singing we haven't really talked about that yet uh, ah, that's odd right and so kind of there's two 
uh, sub main points today. The first is that singing is holistic, and that is kind of a piggyback on last time we talked about how worship is holistic. And then after we explain some of that, uh, which shouldn't really take too long, uh, we're going to talk about uh, some examples in the Bible of how um, people sang after they uh, experienced an encounter with God. Um, and just kind of go on a kind of a history, uh, really fast uh, history through the Old Testament and uh, encounters with God and singing. But first, let's talk about how singing is holistic. Uh, if you remember last time we talked about how worship was holistic, and I used the Shema and the greatest commandment to talk about how we love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And so that's kind of four different avenues that we can love God and worship God through that love. And so this time we're going to talk about how singing uh, is the same way. Okay. Um, if any one of you has never sung before, then this won't make any sense. But for all of you out there, which is probably everyone unless you have some sort of physical condition keeping you from actually physically being able to sing, um, you've probably sung something. It might not have been pleasant to listen to, but you have sung. Um, and if you're listening to this, then you probably don't have those physical issues unless you don't have a tongue or something. I don't know. There's, I'm sure. I'm sure there's someone out there. Uh, I just want to say the the, the Gettys. I'm, I'm kind of using some of the language that the Gettys used in their book "Sing." Yeah, um, where Great they book. they they talk about being tone deaf is not an excuse not to sing. Yeah, that God commands us to sing, and so we should all sing. But that you know, people that might be deaf uh, may not be able to actually physically sing. Um, and if you, like I said, if you didn't have a tongue or something weird like that, then it would probably be very difficult to sing as well. But you could probably whistle, maybe. I don't know. I don't, I have a tongue, so I don't know how much I'm getting really, really off. So <laughs> singing is holistic. I'm just going to kind of go through this real quick. Singing takes mental effort. Uh, you, yep. you, you think about the different notes that you're singing. You think about the words as you're looking at them. You know, there's a lot of thinking that goes on, uh, while you're singing, um, singing takes physical effort. Your body is literally a musical instrument while you're singing. You're using your diaphragm. You're using your, um, you know, you're using your mouth. You're using uh, your soft palate, your tongue, all different, you know, parts of your of your mouth and your face to to sing. Uh, a lot of times you're also standing and you know with lumbar support and stuff. There's a lot of physical activity that goes when singing, especially when you're projecting out. Singing takes creative effort. Um, and this one, you know, it's it can take creative effort. Uh, if you are, especially like in like the jazz genre and, and genres like that, mm -hmm. if you are, um, if you're singing backup, a lot of times you have the liberty to, to you know, be creative, to, to do things a little off script. Um but in the different ways that you can perform uh, while singing, it takes creative effort. Singing also can take emotional effort. Uh, music is very interesting in how it can, it is a physical thing. Um, 
as far as, you know, sound waves and, you know, physically playing instruments and physically singing, that just has a profound connection on the emotional, on, on the emotions. And so singing does take an emotional effort. And then there are times uh, where a song performed well can just move people to tears. I mean, that's, there's all sorts of studies done on that. But so singing, it, it involves the mind, it involves the body, it involves the soul, it involves the heart. It involves all of, all of the different ways, the avenues through which we can love God and worship God. And so because of that, I think there are two very interesting aspects of singing. One, I believe that singing is important. This is why there's so much singing in the Bible. This is why God commands us, or why Paul commands us twice, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to sing. Uh, it is also why the Psalms are full of commands to sing. You know, the, the Bible is just absolutely chock full of commands to sing and ways to sing, and reasons for singing. And I think that the reason why singing is so important is because we it is holistic, and worship is holistic. And so we can sing and worship God through all of those avenues at once. And uh, and when we worship God holistically, I believe that we, we can worship more deeply, and we can have just uh, a, a more... Um, spiritual closeness to God, not a physical or an emotional closeness necessarily, but, you know, a, a spiritual closeness to God. Um, on the flip side, I believe this is why our our church gets that confused. We, I'm sure you've heard before, you know, I enjoyed the worship portion of the, of the service today. Yes. And, and meaning I enjoyed the singing. I enjoyed the music calling that worship or the, uh, the, even like the title of the the music minister, I like music minister better because it if they're doing music more than anything else, that's what it should be. They're not necessarily the worship leader because they're right. just leading worship through music. Um, I like at our church uh, we we say that this particular elder is leading the worship today, and that means this particular elder is the one who's going through the liturgy. Uh, who's leading the church in the liturgy that um, today I, I got to be the chief musician, but I was not the worship leader because the elder who was going through the liturgy today was the worship leader. I, I, I like that terminology a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And, uh, and so we, we've talked about that singing is important. We've kind of talked about how singing is important, but now I want to go through, um, I've, I've written down a list of different um, different chapters. I didn't go into necessarily the verses, but just different chapters that, that have stories in them of the Israelites encountering God. And as a result of this encounter with God, um, there was either singing, uh, other sorts of music like instrumentation, um, and also dancing, um, as expressions of worship after having an encounter with God. And, and I wanted to go through each one of these because I think each one of these examples, this is not a, this is not a complete list of, of examples. This is just some very significant examples. Um, so I, I just kind of want to go through each one and just talk a little bit about each one. So yeah. 
the first is is Exodus 15, which is the crossing of the Red Sea. And specifically, it's after the crossing of the Red Sea. And do you want to know what is really significant about this passage? Uh, that it's the first song recorded in the Bible? It is the first song recorded in the Bible. That is exactly right. Um, and it's a, and Long-time listeners of our show should know that, I believe. Yeah, that's, that is probable. I like to repeat myself. Um, oh, no, that's good. But yeah, so Exodus 15 is the first song recorded in the Bible. Um, and essentially, you know, it's, you know, I will sing to the Lord for he has... He has won a great victory. He has He's thrown the yeah. yeah. He has thrown the chariot into the sea with the horse and the rider. Uh, I've got a really weird translation that I have here. I was going to say, what, what translation is that? Is, I'll try and match you. Uh, this is the Voice, the Reader's Bible. This is just the first Bible that I found on my shelf. Um, oh, I've never heard of that one. You're on your own, man. Yeah, that's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was. It's it's more of a it's more of a paraphrase. Uh, than, okay. than an actual translation, but um, yeah, so it's you know the the Israelites just witnessed you know after a four hundred year silence from from God, uh, they they experienced the plagues, they experienced Passover, they experienced you know being let out of slavery and, and out of bondage, mm-hmm. and they saw you know the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke, and they saw. The, this pillar, you know, protecting them from the Egyptian army. They saw the waters part. They they crossed the sea, and then they saw the waters swallow up their enemy. And it was a fantastic. It was just a fantastic experience. They saw the power of God firsthand. And so, what was their immediate response? Their immediate response was singing. Yeah. But also dancing and uh, playing the tambourine because all the women grabbed the tambourine yeah. and danced and sang along. That's that's in verse twenty, yeah. uh, where it says, "Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, singing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has thrown into the sea." So he, uh, she repeats what was sang by the uh, entire Israelite body uh, there right beforehand. Yeah, and uh, and so it was just it's just beautiful song. It's this beautiful song that, that is, is uh, the first one recorded in scripture. Um, <clears throat> later, uh, like immediately later, the Israelites start complaining about <laughs> God and how God is not providing for them anymore and that he's led them into the desert just to die and they wish they could go back to slavery. And so after that, you know, they uh, get to experience God again. Uh, when mm-hmm. he gave them the Ten Commandments, then they, you know, the long story of God continuing to reveal himself and the people continuing to say, I repent, and then I'm just going to forget about it immediately. And then finally, right. God brings them, after 40 years in the wilderness, brings them to the edge of the Jordan, and at the end of Deuteronomy, uh, God pulls Moses up onto the mountain again and says, write down this song for the people and have them remember this song. And it will be, and, you know, it will be a remembrance for them of what I've done. And God gives Moses a song and Moses goes down and sings it. 
This is a very important song because it was a lot more of a lament and of a warning. And, and it was a way, it was something for the people to remember that they, uh, that they have encountered God many times and that they have rejected God many times and that they will continue to reject God many times, but that God is still with them. And so, and are we talking uh, Deuteronomy 32 here? Well, 31 verse 30, then Moses spoke the words of uh-huh. this song until they were finished. That's right. In the ears of all the assembly of Israel. That is, that's, Perfect. Yeah. And so that's a, a very long song. It is a very long song. Uh, so we will kind of, Leave that to you to go. How many of our churches would sing this song on Sunday? How many times have you heard that on like a social media thing? (laughs) Oh, Um, well, I guess for you, not very many, but. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. I'm not on social media. Um, But yeah, it's. uh, it's, Jim. Yes. Me and Jim, we we unite. (laughs) We have our own social media. It's called Texting. It's on Slack.techreformation.com. I'm barely on there as well. But anyway, so kind of moving on. Um, they, you know, Israelites, they cross, they, um, they conquer the land for the most part. They immediately fall away again, build altars Mm -hmm. to idols and lots of different crazy stuff. God continues to send people to them and they continue to reject him. Eventually, uh, the sons of the priest Eli take the Ark of the Covenant into battle and it gets stolen. Mm -hmm. The Philistines take Mm -hmm. it. It, we've talked about the story uh, when we talked about Uzzah. Um, mm-hmm. And so kind of, you know, if you remember Uzzah, he was the one that he tried to get the ark back to Jerusalem, but he uh, they didn't follow the commands of the Lord to carry on the poles. And so he touched it to try to steady it and died. Um, after that, you know, there's some time passed uh, and they did, they eventually tried to get it back to Jerusalem again. They got it to Jerusalem and we get a very famous story in Second Samuel six, where David mm-hmm. the king is dancing in his ephod, and uh, there's music, there's trumpets, there's all sorts of celebration going on, there's sacrifices, and it is said that his dancing was uh, was accepted. It was something that the, the Lord accepted. Um, his wife did not, but the Lord accepted it. So that's, uh, you know, it was an encounter with God, you know, and it was a returning of the Ark of the Covenant to the, to the people of Israel and into the, um, and really into the tabernacle, uh, back to where, uh, to where they could institute again, their tabernacle worship, uh, with the presence of the Ark of the Covenant, like it was meant to be. And so that was a very important time. And it was met with, singing with dancing and with uh, and with instruments. Yeah, it's always been kind of a hard thing for me to understand too, is this like this dancing was accepted, yet um Michael, the daughter of Saul uh David's wife, did not accept it. Um but more than that, like why was it accepted by God? Why was why why is it that, that particular instance of dancing was accepted but um, yeah i mean others not anyway yeah i mean even in exodus 15 there was dancing and so dancing i think is just it is a visceral reaction uh where we just you want to just holistically engage um 
very similar to singing. It, dancing takes mental, physical, creative, and emotional effort. Uh, dancing is not as corporate as singing, which is why I don't think a lot of churches have dancing. Um, but this wasn't all, also this was not a corporate church worship service in Second Samuel six. It was the whole nation was coming together, but it wasn't like a, a corporate worship service. So it was a little, it was a little different. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. And then chronologically, uh, after that, in First Chronicles uh, fifteen, we get a story of uh, David instituting the uh, a branch of the Levitical priests specifically to sing. And um, Asaph was one of these particular priests, and he actually wrote many of the psalms. I don't know how many, but I think aside from from David, I think Asaph probably has the most psalms. Um, there's a lot that are unnamed, like, so there's a lot that we don't know who wrote them. But I think of the named psalms, the credited psalms, I think Asaph is probably the second most. Um and so, yeah, so First Chronicles. Yeah, he, he wrote uh, 12 psalms. The psalms of Aphis, uh, Asaph are uh, number um, number 50 and then 73 through 83. Yeah. Uh, and that's the Masoretic text, sorry, 49 and 72 through 82 in the Septuagint. Okay. Um, this is coming from Wikipedia. Take this with a gigantic grain of salt. Um, so but, yeah. saying, are you saying it's salty? Ooh, yes, very salty. Very salty. So, yeah, so First um, Chronicles 15. High blood pressure. Watch out for that. Yes, not the singing songbook. Uh, so First Chronicles 15 <laughs> uh, is that instituting of the tabernacle musicians. Um, and so when we get, when we read the Psalms and it says to the choir master, you know, with these mm-hmm. stringed instruments or whatnot, he's referring yeah. to this group of people. Um, and so that's, that's a very important uh, that became a very important tradition in the temple worship and in the in the Jewish culture was the, were these priests who were specifically in charge of the music um, in first chronicles 29 this is one of my favorite passages this is the dedication of the temple so david mm-hmm. was not allowed to build the temple but uh, that was a job that god gave to solomon however God allowed David to prepare it. So David brought all of the equipment and, you know, to the spot where it was going to be and, um, and got it ready for Solomon to build. And, and in first Chronicles 29, there's just this great, um, there's a gathering of, of people and, uh, David is commissioning Solomon to build the temple. And he just, he just finishes it with this beautiful song. It's one of my favorite passages. Um, and I know that some traditions believe that the uh, the kind of closing of the Lord's Prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen, was not mm-hmm. necessarily something that Jesus had said, uh, that it was added by a monk into the margins and got kind of added into the scripture through repeating uh, I believe that if that's the case, if it's not something that Jesus said at the end of the Lord's Prayer, that it was that it came from First Chronicles 29, because all of those phrases, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever, are all intermixed into this speech and into this song. Um, 
So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm seeing there in verse 10, it says, and uh, a little bit into it, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Your, in chapter, uh, verse 11 now, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, so I, I believe that, that that is kind of the origin of, of that, you know, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Uh, it comes from that First Chronicles 29 passage. And there's, those exact phrases are repeated throughout scripture, um, but they're all in that one spot in First Chronicles 29. Um, so chronologically speaking, um, the the next kind of major section would be in Isaiah mm-hmm. six, which is an incredibly familiar passage. It's where uh, in the king in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, and He was high and lifted up. Isaiah goes into the temple, and instead of seeing, you know, the normal things that are in the temple, he sees the throne room of God, and mm-hmm. God is sitting on the throne, and His train fills the temple, and there's the seraphim and the cherubim and they're singing to one another holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory and uh and so we get our kind of our first heavenly song um that it's not humans singing but it is angelic beings singing um as isaiah encounters god even one one almost like the most physical encounter that any human has with god aside from the garden and possibly Enoch. Uh, it's a it's a very moving and very uh, very interesting passage of scripture. Absolutely. So I have I, I'm looking in here, and it's not saying that it's a song necessarily, but that they are calling to one another. Okay. Is this kind of a call and response kind of idea, or in uh, what's going on there? Yeah, and that's that's possible. And there will probably be people that argue that they weren't singing. I think that um, the main reason why I think it gets taught that they were singing is in Revelation mm-hmm. five. We mm-hmm. get a very very similar, um, a very similar story, and in that one they are explicitly singing. And they sang a new song, verse nine of yeah. chapter five of Revelation. Yeah, and they sang a new song, saying, "Interesting." Yeah. Well, I'm no, I'm, I mean, I'm asking the question because I don't know, you know. Um, so, but that's that's helpful uh, to understand that. Yeah, and and also in that Revelation five it says, and they sang a new song, saying, um, mm-hmm. "I'm very interested." Like one of the questions that I have, like if I ever got to sit down with a Greek scholar, I would ask about this particular word, saying, because we get mm-hmm. a lot of what the church kind of traditionally views as these songs, like song from Hannah, song from Mary, song from Zechariah, that mm-hmm. all say saying in the English. Mm-hmm. And so was it a song or was it, you know, beat poetry? We don't really know. Um, however, in verse, in, Reve- in that passage in Revelation 5, it definitely clearly they were singing, but it said the word saying. So uh, there's a lot of different, areas throughout scripture where it is disagreed upon whether or not it was a saying or it was a song. And I think that that passage in, in Isaiah six is probably one of them, but oh, uh, okay. Just looking at the kind of the Greek and I am no Greek expert, but the, 
the lemma there, the kind of the base word is uh, lego, uh, logos, you know, word yeah. to say, to tell, um, is, uh, and obviously, I, you know, I'm no expert here, but understanding that um, it, it's this, I see why they get calling, it's um, sort of, they're, they're telling one another, they're testifying to one another, yeah. um, maybe this particular truth. Uh, in song um, is perhaps what, what, what that is kind of referring to. Yeah. And, uh, and, and whether or not it was a song, it is definitely poetic. It, it is mm-hmm. a poetic telling. Like this, this language isn't like the everyday vernacular. It is, um, it is more artistic. It is more emotional based and creative based, you know, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. Even that, that, that idea of Holy, 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 that is a poetic device. Um, meaning that God is the holiest. So Holy would mm-hmm. be Holy, Holy, Holy would be holier. Holy, Holy, Holy is holiest. So yes. And so, um, even then, and that is the only instance, I think that is the only attribute of God that is given threefold. So the yes. Bible, so God is love, but God is holy, holy, holy. He's not love, love, love. Um, so that's kind of also an important thing. Um, yeah. And so, um, very at a very similar time, uh, so still within Isaiah's life, we get Second Chronicles twenty nine, which is when Hezekiah is the king, and Hezekiah is probably like the third or fourth best king of Israel or of Judah. Um, David is considered the best king. Solomon is up there. I personally, just from reading the text, think that uh, Josiah was probably the best king. Uh, But Hezekiah is up there. Yeah, but Josiah and Hezekiah ended their reigns in ignominy, if you will. Josiah Uh, did not. But both started out great. Josiah did not? I don't think so. I thought he was... I, I could be wrong. Josiah was, Josiah was, uh, he was, uh, the only person in scripture who he was described as he loved the Lord, his God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might. I find that to be really interesting. But that is really so interesting. We're not talking about Josiah. We're talking about Hezekiah. Ah, we'll get on that later. And Hezekiah. Chapter 29, Second Chronicles. Uh-huh. And this was a rededication of the temple. This was, he was one of the kings who, he was like, you know what? The temple has been desecrated. Let's, let's clean it out. Let's do a ceremony. Um, he didn't take it as far as Josiah. Josiah cleaned it. And then he also burnt the, uh, the major altar to the false God and set it on fire such that it was still on fire when Jesus was around. But um, Hezekiah, he rededicated the temple, and it talks about you know the the music, and it talks about the trumpets, and it talks about the the singing at at that rededication, um, and that was a really important uh, really important story. Hezekiah was a very pivotal in that he uh, he stood up to the Assyrians, but then he gave into the Babylonians, and mm, yeah. Uh, yeah, he did end his career. His last 15 years, which were the bonus 15 years, his, mm-hmm. his last 15 years were uh, were his downfall and the downfall of Judah, ultimately. Uh, so Ezra 3, this is, so after the downfall of Judah, they're taking into, taken into captivity. 
they are allowed to return uh, after the uh, the Persians defeat the Babylonians. Uh, King Cyrus issues the decree for Israel to go back to, uh, to Jews, to go back to Judah and rebuild the temple. And in Ezra 3, it describes the, the laying of the foundation. And there's a lot of, again, there's musical instruments playing, there's singing, there's um, there's celebration. And, uh, and that was... Also, one of the major issues, major pivotal moments, because after the temple was built, the the presence of the Lord did not descend on it, and, um, and so the old men wept while the young men rejoiced because the old men remembered the glory that they had encountered, but that glory did not return. Yes, um, that was the third temple period then uh, what we're talking about here but yeah there was Asaph's sons uh, with symbols uh, ready to praise the Lord according to the direction of David king of Israel so even that that is still carrying forward even uh, you know even at that time and I I believe it was the second temple the third temple was Jesus day but the uh... oh I thought that was the one that was there in Ezra's day now like the uh, that, that was the third temple that they constructed right there. Solomon's temple oh, was the Solomon's first, temple, right? Because there's uh, a tabernacle, the tabernacle, and then the first temple, and then the second yes. temple, and then my uh, mistake. Uh, it's fine, uh, and then uh, then the temple that Jesus was in was technically the third temple. Yes, the one that Herod uh, built. The one that Herod built. Um, I don't I don't have these listed, um, but I kind of mentioned them as well. Um, you know, we get into the New Testament, we get a lot of singing in the early New Testament. Um, we get the angels singing to the shepherds. You know, we get Mary singing the, um, or Mary saying, at least, to, uh, <laughs> uh, when my soul magnifies the Lord. You know, we get Zechariah when, when he is able to speak again after his encounter with, with the Lord, um, or with the angel. He is able to sing again. And so we, we get we do have a history, a continued history of singing uh, as they encounter with God. We even get, you know, the narrative of Paul and Silas singing in the jail. Um, and as a result, there's the earthquake. So that's kind of a different aspect. But, you know, th- this idea of singing to express, you know, worship to God is uh, it is all the way throughout uh, throughout the scripture um, and I find it very interesting there's a verse in Zephaniah 317 if you don't mind pulling that up uh, this is one yep. that's also a very beautiful voice uh, a very beautiful verse and it reads the Lord your God is in your midst a mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness he will quiet you by his love he will exult over you with loud singing. Yes. So God himself sings over us. Um, you know, we, we mentioned earlier, you know, we love because God loves. You know, we, we, measure our, mm-hmm. we measure our love through the definition of what God's love is. You know, we, uh, we can create because God is creative. You know, we can, um, you know, we can be truthful because God is truth. You know, we can... 
we can, everything that we do, we can judge and we can rule because God is judge because God rules everything that man does that is good is defined by the way that God does it because God is holy, holy, holy. And I believe that we sing because God sings that God gave us that gift of singing. And it was, uh, something that he did first. So we sing because God first sang. And, uh, and so I think that that is, that that is a really important aspect of singing as well. And it should give us, it should encourage us to sing as well. Even if we feel like we're tone deaf and that we can't sing and that no one wants to hear us, God wants to hear us because he sang over us first. He created us. He did. Yeah. And he created us to sing. Exactly. So get out there and sing on Sunday morning at your church and uh, take part in the corporate body of worship. I mean, that's, very, uh, very important. And this is a part where you have a play, uh, a part to play inside the worship service. It's not the only part of the worship service. Singing is not equated to worship, the worship service, but it is a part. And it's a part that we're, uh, not, yeah, we're, that we're actually commanded to sing. Um, and, uh, just as exactly what you said, just as Christ sang over us. Yeah. So that's going to, that's going to wrap up our, our main topic, but I did want to do just a couple more, uh, final kind of follow up things. This is episode eight and, uh, this is kind of our last episode of introductory topics. After this, we're going to get into some, we're going to go into, you know, the six different, uh, you know, groups of questions, you know, the six different lenses that I use to analyze music. We're going to go through each one very, very in-depthly. So you're going to uh, really grow to love to love those, or at least to know a lot about them. You may not love them after we're done, but <laughs> that's kind of where we're heading next. But I did want to um, to mention that we do have an email. Uh, our email is there is at bombcast dot com, and I want nice. to I want to thank uh, Karen Greenfield for emailing us a couple times. Yay! Yeah, I'm sorry, I did not check. Um, I uh, uh, the email more diligently over the past while, um, but uh, yes, it is up there, and we are checking it now. Yes, I can say this, and I think Jim Briggs would really appreciate this. She makes a really nice tater tot casserole. She fed us mm. last night, and it was it was delicious. Oh, that does sound good. It was. It was. Yeah, really good. absolutely. Well. Uh, yeah, we will definitely. Uh, so, if you want your your word, anyway, we don't have a voicemail set up. But um, if you want your 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 word said on the show, email us, won't you? At there is at bombcast dot com, and uh, we will work those into a future show. Yeah, and tell like us that. tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Also, um, if you heard a song on the radio and you want us to talk about it, let us know. If you read an article and you want me to read it, send it to me. Um, I've actually had several people send me random articles uh, since I started yes. this. And yes, it's, they've, keep they've it been, up. Yeah, keep it up. I, I have read uh, just about every article and listened to just about every song that has been sent to me. I still have a couple more to get through. But I, I do get those and I do listen to them and I do read them. And, uh, 
And so I just wanted to say, keep sending them. Um, also, uh, we've gotten a couple ratings on iTunes, but we do not have any reviews yet. And so we if, have one actually. We do I have one this morning. Nice. Yeah. We have one review. One review. Um, it, uh, the uh, uh, I believe it might be from from your friend here. Okay. And uh, it is the title on this is hopeful, and it's a five star review which we Ooh. appreciate. And it says Brian and Grant are easy to listen to. They give some clear information on how to evaluate music and lyrics. So thank you very much, K. Uh, Growlin, K G R A L L E N. Okay, thank you. Thank you. And we really appreciate you. Um, I will say uh, we do appreciate it, and it helps other people find our show when you rate and review our show. Yes. And it also helps if you just directly share it with people. So just go ahead and click the little star, um, five stars, whatever it is. Uh, in the app that you're listening to, and uh, go ahead and just hit that share button and yeah. send it to one of your friends. Because the more that you share this, and the and the more that you that you guys like this, then the more that it will pair us with other shows that are similar and not so much with Joel Osteen. And which is our number one comp? Which I is think. our another one comp right now? Uh, I know that there's yeah. a Stephen Furtick podcast and a TD Jakes oh, and all dear. those other people on there. So, so please share us. Please if, get us out if of that. Only so that we can be lumped with like Reformed Brotherhood and lightest form of flogging and Tech Reformation. All the good podcasts and the ones that are at least more similar to ours. <laughs> yeah, Joe Osteen is our number one. Followed by somebody named Jenny Allen, made for this. I don't know who that is. Yeah, I've I've looked through all those. I'm like, man, I think there's like right I, after that is Stephen Furtick. I think Tim Keller's in there as well, but Tim Keller is number four. That's yeah. right, apparently. Yeah. So, so I promise we are not like like those podcasts. So please like us and share us so that we will be more adequately compared. Um. But other than that, I don't really have anything else to say. Do you have any final thoughts? Uh, the only thing I wanted to point out, which I forgot to mention up when we were talking about worship, is there. it, it seems to be the same set of people who say all of life is worship and then after worship, then you can take your kids back to children's church or whatever. <laughs> or after, you know, or, you know, which all of life is worship. Saying, but after worship, right. remember to get your kids. Right. So by which we are saying, the only part of life that is not worship is the sermon. So yeah. just remember that. Um, that uh, that 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 apparently is the only part of life that's not worship. I don't I don't actually <laughs> agree with that. I just think it's yeah. funny. I will make yeah. a new. Yeah, you should. <laughs> you should. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, I guess I will just conclude by saying that I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad, and built the lofty skies. There is a bomb yet to make the wounded
Thank you for listening to the Balm and Gilead podcast. We love hearing from you, so email us at thereis at balmcast.com. We are a part of the Tech Reformation family of podcasts, and you can discuss our show and much more at slack.techreformation.com. We'll see you there. If you enjoyed the Balm and Gilead podcast, please encourage others to listen. We value your feedback, so rate, review, and recommend the show in your podcast app of choice. And with that, we'll see you next time on the Balm in Gilead podcast. I had to actually have that one pulled up and ready to read because I don't remember that one off the top of my head. Yeah, um, which song? I sing the mighty power of God. I sing the mighty power of no boy that's uh, I sing that's the, the mighty power of power God that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. Yeah. I sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the day. The moon shines full at his command, and all the stars obey. Yeah, that yeah, that's nice. I, I always like that song. Um, yep, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one.